0: everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Money Multiplier Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Kessler, and I'm going to ask y'all, do your dollars make sense? Thanks for joining me this week. Today, we're going to cover the topic of our insurability. So a question I get sometimes is, you know, Hannah, well, how many policies can I have? Um, How much will the insurance company even insure me for? So we'll get into those uh, specs as we get into this episode here today. A few announcements before we hop in. The events are live and in action. Click the link down below in the description box to see if we're coming out to your town, your city, and by all means, y'all, even if you have a group of people, you want to do a live webinar, or you just want to talk one-on-one together, I'm always around and I'm always here. So again, thanks for joining me today, and let's get into the episode. Now, it's after hours here, and uh, I decided to open myself a little beverage I like me some white claws from time to time. So, crack yourself open a little beverage, grab a coffee, a, key, a tea, um, maybe even your glass of water, and come join me as we hop into this. So, this episode is for a lot of my um, folks that just want to know just a little bit more about the back end. You know, how do the actuaries of the companies operate? Um, the underwriters of these insurance companies? You know, what are they looking for when I go in and I apply for this coverage? So, I want to give you a little bit more background about the insurance company's perspective of when you're going through and you're applying for your new policy, you know, what are they looking at and what are they looking for? So let's start here. Just how you cannot over-insure a car, you can't over-insure a body, So what I mean by that is, is that the insurance companies, they're always looking at these policies from a death benefit perspective, where I know us over here, we're always looking at it as how much cash, how much cash and premium can I funnel through my policy? So what they're doing is they're saying, all right, they're taking you as a whole, high level, what they're looking at is they're looking at your income, your net worth, your health, your day-to-day activities you know your social history are you a smoker are you a safe driver do you have a boatload of speeding tickets and do you have like five DUIs in the past three years they're going to look at some of that stuff they're going to look at criminal history they're going to look at age right so all of those things come into a factor and they're really looking at all right you Joe Smith what is your life value really worth and that's really what they're underwriting on. And I know it sounds a little crappy and morbid when I put it that way, but they are essentially seeing how much is your life really worth, and then they're going to insure you up to that amount, but probably not any more over. So just in the same way with like car insurance, you can't go out and have a 2005 Honda Civic and go out there and get insurance coverage that's equal to a Ferrari, right? It just doesn't make sense. So that's what they're looking at. That as a whole is what they're looking at, but let's get into a little bit deeper of the specifics so you can see just a little bit more. Now, everybody does have a maximum insurability on their life. So for somebody, you know, that is making $24,000 a year in income you know, they don't have a whole bunch of assets, maybe their net worth is right around $10,000 or something. If they go in and they try to apply for $20 million of death benefit, the insurance company is gonna come back and say, hey, we love you, but I just don't think your life is worth 20 million in death benefit, right? So, so they'll come back and then they'll lower what they will actually give you in that death benefit coverage. So let's walk through a little bit. I have a chart here that I'm looking at on my computer screen. I wanna walk through just a little bit about what they're looking at when somebody's going in and applying for coverage. Because yes, y'all, they are gonna look up your dress just a little bit. This is life insurance. Life insurance is not a right to own, it's a privilege to own one of these policies, just like your driver's license, right? Even voting rights, okay? So this is a privilege, it's not a right to have one of these policies. So for instance, if somebody had bankruptcy, and now I'm going through this. I kind of have this written out in like, um, there's no specific order. I'm just kind of going in alphabetical order here. But if somebody's got bankruptcy, you know, if you filed chapter 7, chapter 13 bankruptcy six months ago and it's still active and open and it's not fully discharged yet. Yeah, the insurance company's not gonna consider you at this time. They're gonna say, hey, we will consider you, but you gotta go pay the government first. You gotta go pay off some of those things that are in active collections right now that you're not paying on, okay? So so if you do have a recent bankruptcy, the insurance company is just gonna postpone you for this time being because they're saying, hey, why are you spending money on this life insurance policy and why are you not paying the government of what you actually owe them to live here in America? Okay, now with bankruptcy, just so you know, high level, if you do fall into that category, if your bankruptcy is fully discharged, I do have some companies that will consider you right now as long as it's fully discharged. Some companies, they will actually postpone you for 48 months, they won't even take a look at you until it's two years from that discharge date because they wanna see the tracking history of where you're at right now active collections, you know, if you are running from the IRS, you know, heck no, the insurance company not going to consider you right now. But let's make believe that you have some back bills from maybe some medical expenses, okay, and you are in quote unquote, active collections, but you have and you are on an active payment plan, paying those things. Absolutely, you can be considered. All right, so so that is one thing. Yes, they will take a look at you right now as long as you are on an active p- payment plan for those things are, that are in collections. Sorry to keep touching my eyes today, y'all. I don't know what it is. My allergies are really bothering me today. We are kind of getting into that springtime weather. Okay, let's move on. Let's go to build, all right? Height and weight. If you are f- five foot, and weigh 330 pounds. I hate to break it to you, but the insurance company's not gonna consider you right now. All right, so there are some guidelines and limitations for build and BMIs and stuff. So if you are, you know, above average, I'll say, right, if you're if you're 20 pounds overweight, right, from your normal height ratio, you're fine. The insurance company's gonna consider you, even if you're like 50 weights. Or fifty weights, haha, fifty pounds overweight, right? The insurance company will consider you. It's just for my people who are on those extreme spectrums from height to weight ratio. And y'all know, okay, just be honest with yourself. You know, if you're in that category, but if you're just that average Joe overweight person, that hey, you know, I could cut back twenty pounds or so. You are fine, all right. So, so I was kind of going back and forth in my head. if I wanted to bring this one up. But I do have a chart here. I mean, if y'all ever have that question of, well, hey Hannah, I'm 57 and I weigh, you know, 296, will they consider me? We'll have that conversation. I imagine that they would. So, all right. So, build plays into it. How about cancer, right? Cancer plays into it. That's pretty straightforward. You know, so so with cancer, if you've had it in your past time, you could get considered for a policy. Do you guys see Daisy back there? What are you doing? What are you doing? Say hi to the camera. <laughs> That's my daughter, y'all. All right, so with cancer, what types of cancer, right? Uh, um, so if you've had breast cancer, but then you have been cancer free for five years, you could be considered for a policy prostate cancer, you've been cancer free for two years, you could be considered for a policy. All right, so just having cancer doesn't totally take you out of the equation that if you can get approved for a policy or not. So what I would want to know if you do have cancer, and here's the thing too, if folks have something that maybe we just want to ask before we submit the um, the application to the home office, the insurance company, I would just ask you the questions. All right, well, what cancer was it? What type of cancer? What stage was it when they caught it? You know, what was the remission like? Was it chemo? Did you have some treatments? Um, when were you announced cancer free? Um, any medications that you're currently taking? So those are some of the questions that I would ask you. And then all we do is we just write in an email to the underwriter and say, hey, I have my person. Joe Smith, Joe Smith, this is what's going on with him. Knowing these facts, would you consider coverage on him right now? Okay, so you can do that. And I do that all the time for folks. So cancer would play into it. That's one thing. How about credit history? All right, this kind of uh, falls back onto like bankruptcy. I kind of touched on it just a little bit there. But the insurance company will not approve of you if you have some things in active collections. You know, running from the IRS, maybe it's large judgments or liens against you. You're subject to withholding from your checks that you're getting. All right, so some of those things could play into a factor. And again, if, if it's a small amount and you're on an active payment plan, the insurance company will consider consider you at that time. Wait, pause. You know what, though, y'all. Um, I have actually my Daisy shirt on. Let me show you. <laughs> it says, "It says Daisy's human." <laughs> How extra am I? That was my. That was a present for my aunt. So shout out to Aunt Sandy for that Christmas present. <laughs> okay. Um, Next one in line, in alphabetical order, let's talk about criminal history. Um, Jail time, I mean, if you've served jail time, okay, you know they just need to know about this. So if you are a type of person that um, you have had uh, some past criminal history, my questions for you for jail time, well, what was the offense in the charge? Are there multiple or is this the only one? How long did you serve? When did you get released? Do you have a felony or are you on active probation? Those would be my questions to you. Now for felonies, I'll tell you, no the company is going to postpone you for 10 years. So if you have a felony, doesn't matter what it is, the insurance company will postpone you for 10 years. Probations, if you are on active probation, the insurance company will not consider you at this time. You can't be on active probation. And if you are, I have some companies is is if that you are off, whatever that, 12 months from the end date of your probation, they will take a look at you and consider you. Some companies, it's 24 months, okay? So, and again, that kind of ties into some of my past episodes I've been saying that is is that, hey, it's not the company. And again, I'm not married to any one insurance company, but there could be some reasons I take somebody to one company and not the other. So if you just got off probation 16 months ago, some companies that I know will consider you while others are going to make you wait for the full 24 months. You know, so that's what I mean when I say that stuff. Um, and I do have a note here, you know, no company will approve of somebody if they are on active pe- pending criminal charges. All right. So active pending stuff. They're not going to consider you at this time. Now, let's talk about diabetes. If you have diabetes, totally fine. My question to you, actually, and really my first question always, is what is your A1C level? If you are over a level seven, they will not consider you at this time. You know, now, yes, there is some grace period where I've had folks who had like a 7.2 or something like that in their A1C, the insurance company will consider. Um, it, it just has a whole bunch of other things to do with it. You know, Are you taking medication or are you on insulin? You know, So that's one thing. I mean, if you ha- are diagnosed with diabetes, but you're not taking your medication that's recommended by your doc, the insurance company will probably want to postpone you for this time being just because you have what's called uncontrolled diabetes right now you're not taking your medications and let's just make believe your a1c is at a level nine right so they just want to make sure that you're doing all of your steps that you should be doing that your medical provider is telling you um so diabetes yes um but the big rule on that one is just if it's under a1c Pretty easy, straightforward answer is yes. That um, sorry, I don't think I said that right. If your if if your A one C is under a level seven, then the insurance companies will consider you at this time. DUIs, all right. Insurance companies will consider you if you have a DUI in your record. That totally doesn't just eliminate you from getting a policy. So my questions to DUIs are, well, how many DUI offenses? Is it just one or are there multiple? When did this happen? Jail time? Probation served? When did you get released or off your probation? Okay, so, so there's some limitations, but DUIs, all right, that could be considered just kind of depending on the circumstances and the time of when it happened. Um, let's go to financial justification, all right, so this is kind of a big one that my team is always talking about and always working with. But um, financial justification, okay? So kind of the straight line um, guideline for the insurance company is, is that they will not consider more than 25% of your income going towards policy premium. So for instance, if you're making 100000 a year, and you're applying for $50,000 a year in annual premium, the insurance company is going to ask, well, hey, how are you funding for $50,000 a premium because that's half of what you're making right now. So how are you paying for all of your other bills and and getting those things paid, Right. So they are going to look at financial qualifications just to make sure that, you know, that you're not going in there and biting off more than you can chew. You know, this is a mutual agreement between you and the insurance company, and they're kind of entering into this kind of working with you, you and the insurance company working together because you're going to have this policy for your whole life. And so they're really there wanting to make the best judgment with you on this stuff. So financial qualifications, that one's a a big one that the application team is always working with. Now, y'all, my my listeners listening to this, you don't got to play or read into financial qualifications a whole lot. And that's probably why, you know, you hear me if you're on the phone with me and we're doing a a first time meeting each other strategy call and and this is something that you want to do and you want my application team to reach out to you to get approved for your policy. One of the questions I'm gonna ask you is, all right, well, hey, what is your annual income? What is your annual income? Because I, because what I'm doing is I'm putting on my underwriter hat and I'm making sure that you can qualify for this based on the underwriter's justification and their guidelines that they have up there for their company standards. So now here, here's the thing I'll tell you too, all right? When you are working with me and the team, We are gonna ask you about income and net worth. Now, here's the thing, and hopefully I can say this, so insurance companies, I apologize. (laughs) But, But here's what I would tell you to do. So they're gonna ask you about income and net worth. When they ask you about income, I want you to give them your gross income. And when they're talking about net worth, I want you to give them Because you're probably gonna guess, right? So guess on the higher end rather than the lower end. So I want you to give them that higher end net worth than what you're guessing on the lower end. Because here's the thing, insurance companies are totally opposite to the government, the IRS. When I know when they call us up and they say, hey, how much do you make? We're broke, we owe everybody else, and we own nothing, right? Insurance companies are totally opposite what I want to do is I want to appear big and I want to appear large to them because we're trying to get approved in that amount of death benefit on the policy. Because again, the insurance company is always looking at this from death benefit perspective where I know us over here, we're looking at it from cash premium. How much cash can I funnel through the policy? So the guideline is it's about 25% of the income premium cannot go over. Now, yes, there are instances, if you paint the picture properly for the underwriter, they will allow you to have more than 25% of income going towards policy premium. I'll talk more about that here later on in the episode, but just a little asterisk there. Next one, homemaker guidelines. Now, I was I was kinda going back and forth in my head if I should put this one in, but let's just do it quickly. Homemaker guidelines. So, like my um, stay-at-home parents, there are some limitations. All right, if you are calling me up, let's put it in this perspective: if you're calling me up and you are the stay-at-home parent, and the other spouse is out working, they are the one bringing in the income, all of the income. Let's say, let's say it's it's just so uh, they're the main provider and the only provider in the family in the immediate family, you get what I'm saying, and you are not working and you call me up and you say, all right, Hannah, I want to do this policy, but I want to do the policy on my body. The insurance company is not going to typically like that or have a heyday with it because... You. What we're trying to do is we're trying to justify the death benefit for your underwriter. So if you're coming in, and let's make believe that your working spouse has $0 of life insurance on their body, but then you go to the insurance company and you say, hey insurance company, I'm a homemaker. My working spouse doesn't have any death benefit on their body, but I'm trying to get a million dollars in coverage. The insurance company, company and your underwriter is going to kind of scratch their head and say, well, hey, well, why do you need $1 million of death benefits? Wouldn't it make more sense for the working spouse to have that coverage on their body? Because in the event that a premature death or something were to happen to the working spouse, you and your children, if any, would need those resources of the death benefit in order to keep sustaining the way of life right so that's how the insurance company is looking at this stuff so so i'm not saying that you can't do the whole family at one point in time but i'm telling you if your working spouse and you are the stay-at-home spouse and your working spouse has no death benefit coverage on them the insurance company is going to start asking questions saying well hey why do they feel like they need the death benefit coverage and not the working spouse it should be the other way around because here's the question what financial catastrophe were to happen to the working spouse if you were to have a premature death? Now, I do agree. There's ways to justify this in the sense that, well, hey, this is the stay-at-home spouse. And in the event of a premature death, the family would need the resources to go out there and find a nanny or, or someone to help around the house, right? Right. So there are ways that you can do it in that sense, but I'm telling you, they're gonna limit the coverage that you're gonna be able to get on you. So again, this is just one thing, call us up, we'll we'll walk you through the story and and see what's going on there. Now this kind of brings me into juvenile guidelines. So this is one that I probably talk about the most when um, helping families is that we're talking about the children and the kiddos. So children, okay? Here's a big misconception. I think I kind of talked about this on the last one. But some folks will call me up and they'll say, Hannah, shouldn't I put this policy on my child because the premiums are going to be cheaper and I'll get more bang for my buck? No, 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 no. Number one reason is, is that the infinite banking concept, when you're designing these policies properly for IBC, it's only going to affect the death benefit. When we're talking and comparing like children to parents, it's only the death benefit that the premium is going to alter. You, whatever premium that you decide to put into your policy and when we're designing it properly for this concept, it's not going to hinder the cash flow and the cash growth within side of the policy. It's only going to affect the death benefit. Real quick, what I mean by that is is that if you decided to put the same dollar amount and premium deposit into your policy as you do your child, cash values and cash flow is gonna operate the same exact way. It's just because you are older than your child you will have less death benefit compared to your child. Because in the insurance company world, when you are younger, one dollar can buy you more death benefit compared to somebody that's older. It just makes sense. That's just how life insurance works. But I'm not here talking to you about death benefit. I'm here talking about the cash that's happening with inside of the policy. So my recommendation is that if you haven't started a policy and you have that question to yourself, hey, should I do my children or should I do me? I always tell y'all to ensure the matriarch and the patriarch of the family first, because in the end of it all, you are supposed to pass before the children and you want that death benefit legacy to now get paid out to your next generation, your children. So... Again, I'm not saying that we can't do the full family all at once now, but why I bring this up is is because that is a statement that I hear from time to time. Here's another reason, and I don't get into this on the weeds on the phone call with y'all, but this is really the reason as to why as well because I have my underwriter hat on and I'm thinking about the justification. Well, insurance companies for children I, and, and I'm using children as a term as non-dependent. So even like my people in their 20s up to 30s even. I mean if you're still living at home. You're dependent on your parents. You're not working. You're still dependent. You still follow under, underneath these juvenile guidelines. So just an FYI. So, so for my juveniles. They can only be considered up to half of what the greater parent insured has on their body. Let me use number examples to make that easy. If the child can only get approved for half of the greater parent insured. So for instance, if mom has $1 million of death benefit on their body, and dad has 600000 of death benefit on his body, Well, mom is the greater insured here compared to the parents. A million versus 600. A million is the greater number. So the children can qualify for half of that greater insured parent. So in this equation, half of $1 million, the child can qualify up to $500,000. So... I know I don't get into the weeds on that in phone calls when I'm talking with y'all, but that's one reason as why I ask when you're coming to me and and asking about putting policies on the children, I'm asking you how much mom and dad have in death benefit on their bodies. And this is why I'm asking it so that I know how much exactly what the child can qualify for and then kind of lead you in a way that, well, hey, you're coming to me. You want to put this on your child, but you don't even have a policy on your body. Why are we wanting to do the child? And not your body, right? And then it kind of comes full circle about cost of insurance and all that stuff. So now quickly too, if I have somebody that their parent um, is deceased, okay, if they're deceased, or maybe they're not in their lives, maybe they're adopted or something like that. There are different um, ways that you can go about it, you know, so absolutely, that's not a hard rule. It's just a guideline set. So, I mean, if I do have somebody where they're, parents are not around um not on this earth any longer you know there are some exceptions that can be made and it's a case-by-case scenario even if the parent is uninsurable right let's make believe that the the parent just can't get a policy right now due to x y and z you know there's even ways that you can go around it in that sense too now lastly on my sheet that i have here minimum premium to get started okay i always tell y'all 10 times the age rule Right, So if you are 45 years old, 45 times 10, $450 on a monthly premium would be your minimum for me to design your policy properly for this banking concept. So minimum to get started and justifiable for the underwriters is the 10 times the age rule on a monthly premium. No, premiums do not increase year after year. Yes, you get to determine the premium that you wanna put into your policy, all right? So start off at your minimum, get your toes wet, see what this world's all about or go higher than that if you choose to. Now, when we're painting the picture for the underwriter, That's simply all it is, y'all. I mean, that is why my application team is there. That's why I'm here as your designated money mentor, because I know how to talk with the underwriters. I don't know if I've shared this yet, but did y'all know before I was doing the podcast show, going around, traveling, speaking at live events and doing webinars and things, I was a part of the application team. All right, I was a part of the application team for about four years before I Actually, I started being dad's assistant first. That's really where it came from. He was mentoring me in what he was doing. But before then... I was straight applications, just talking to underwriters all day long, talking with clients, doing the application, scheduling their exams. So I know a lot about the underwriting process and what the underwriters and the insurance companies are looking for. So I I do have a very solid foundation knowledge about the back inner workings of the actuaries of the company and things like that. So reach out to me, okay? So we covered a lot of top comments or topics here about the different characteristics of the insurability of a person. Now, again, it's just painting the picture, okay? I mean, if I have, like, let me give you an example. If I have like a child who just received $3 million in inheritance money, but they don't even work, maybe they're still in high school, they're maybe about to enroll in their freshman year of college, I mean, you just got to paint the picture for the underwriter. Even though you're not producing an income, there's a way to justify that case because you got $3 million plus sitting down at the central banks not doing anything, right? Or how about if I have somebody who only makes $24,000 a year, they're trying to put $50,000 a year into their policy, but they got $5 million sitting in cash in the bank, you could justify that for the underwriters, but see, and if you don't, all the underwriters are gonna look at is, well, hey, you're applying for 50,000 a year in premium, but you're only making 24. How in the hell does that make sense? How are you gonna pay for these premiums, right? So cover letters, y'all, it's just cover letters and, and supporting the, the case to your underwriter. And um, that, that's very, very important. And that's what we're doing all day long over here. Now, here's a question I get into sometimes, Um, a listener writing question now. Do I have to redo an exam if I already did mine? So just real quick recap. When you're going through and applying for a policy, I talked about this on the episode where, um, hey, what needs to happen to get approved for an infinite banking policy? An exam sometimes is needed. Now, just real quick, if you're under the age of 18, no, you do not have to do the exam. Even if you are over the age of 18, but you're very healthy, not a smoker, et cetera, et cetera. No, sometimes you don't even have to do the exam as well. But if you do, exams are good for one year. So sometimes I get folks who will come back and say, Hannah, I'm ready to start policy number two, three, four, five now. Do I have to go back and do another exam? It's a yes or no answer, just because at the end of the day, it is always up to your underwriter what they're going to request. Um, But if you come back within that 12-month time frame, no, exams are good for 12 months is really that guideline there. So I hope this gave you more context to kind of what the application team does day in and day out, answering the questions of the underwriting process. And actually, let me say this, y'all. Insurance companies... It's not an overnight process to get approved for a policy, all right? It takes four to six weeks, and I know we live in that era of instant gratification, and wanting things now, 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 but it is going to take some time to set up these policies, okay? So just put that in the back of your mind. This is not a McDonald's drive through okay? It, it is going to take some time to get that policy set up and and really to start ready to funding it. So I always tell you, it's going to take four to six weeks to get approved for your policy so reach out to me watch the presentation if you haven't already or re-watch it to really understand the foundation levels of what is this infinite banking concept how are we practicing it what are we doing with the policies over here and how are they reaching the goals that we're trying to accomplish here now in five years 10 years 25 years from now so I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Money Multiplier Podcast. I'm going to ask you, do your dollars make sense? Rate the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channels, follow me on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. I'm out there on all social media platforms. And um, until next time, thanks for joining me. I'll talk to you then. Bye now.